runny, uh, running kinds of days. I think it's important that we use the right words. Uh, I, I do remember running um, a 200-mile relay where each one runs a marathon, but you do it at um, seven miles at a time, and then you hand the baton over to the next person. You do it in 24 hours. Maybe we could do that. Do a 200-mile uh, relay. Uh, we are all in a van, um, you know, uh, together, and you're running for 24 hours. Uh, there are various ones of those. That's a good, good exercise. Um, and, um, you know, it kind of brings in a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of energy uh, and, and a lot of togetherness. So, uh, is it okay if we do that? Um, yeah, Commander Gabrielson and Emily, can, uh, can we make you responsible for this? Organizing a 200-mile relay. I mean, we... Oh, feeding. Thank you. That is needed also. Good carbs in the middle of the night, especially when we are hungry. Sharon will drive, yes. So there's already volunteers. Sharon will drive. Uh, oh, the reason I brought this up, of course, is because uh, the last one I ran, I ran along with a church in Chicago uh, called Park Community Church. We did this together, and, um, uh, and there was a group of people that ran along with us. They were kind of the same kind of you know, competitiveness of the, our runners, um, and um, they painted the whole, uh, their van, um, uh, like it was a toilet. And, and there was a thing that hung out from behind this uh, van, um, and um, their shirt said, we've got the runs. Uh, <laughs> and that's what the van said also, we've got the runs. Don't you like it, though? <laughs> I thought, and they were dressed up in like, they ran the whole 200 miles in their pajama suits. Uh, really good runners, somewhere from Texas, I think. And so maybe we could come up with a similar theme, I don't know. We are runners from Hebrews chapter 12 or something like that. So food is taken care of, the driving is taken care of. We just need runners now, and Commander Gabrielson and uh, Emily are the two people responsible for that. That'll be a good thing to do. It'll be a good thing to do. Um, today, of course, is the, is the day of uh, the Chicago Marathon, and that was very good of, uh, of Shah. I, I didn't expect that, so that was quite well done. <laughs> Thank you, Shah. Um, um, you know that the two-hour barrier has been broken yesterday. Did you hear about that? Eliud Kipchoge, who actually owns the world record in marathon, um, he, along with a group of people, broke um, the two-hour barrier, which is an you know, it, 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 I, I, would, I never thought it would be broken. Well, I shouldn't say that. You, rec records are meant to be broken. But that two-hour barrier uh, is, is an amazing thing. 
the unofficial time is 1 hour 59 minutes and 40 seconds. That's amazing. That is uh, how much time uh, a lot of people take to run their 10Ks or something like that. <laughs> um, and Eliod uh, Kipchogi. Let me, let me go through some other records here. Johnny Hayes from the United States in 1908 uh, won the London Marathon in 2 hours and 55 minutes. Think about it. Um, Alexis Algren from Sweden in 1913, 2 hours 36 minutes. Jim Peters from the UK in 2 hours 17 minutes. Then in 1999, the record was held, is still held by Khalid Khanouchi, from, uh, who was from Morocco, but now he is an American. Uh, in 2 hours and 5 minutes and 42 seconds, which is the Chicago, um, um, uh, the Chicago record, and it still is. Eliud Kipchoge, who uh, broke the 2-hour barrier yesterday, in a marathon that's not considered to be an official marathon. Um, his record, the official record, is two hours and one minute and 39 seconds. That is fascinating, isn't it? Lawrence um, uh, Shirono from Kenya won the Chicago Marathon in two hours, five minutes and 45 seconds. So he has not broken the record. But do you know who broke the record? It's a woman, Bridget Koski. She broke the women's record 16 years ago it was uh, held by Paula Radcliffe in 2 hours 14 minutes and 4 seconds that's pretty cool so do you think you'd like to break that record now? records are meant to be broken so maybe if you start running with Emily then someone from Redeemer Life will break the record and then tomorrow we'll say, you know, it started on this particular Sunday. She set her mind to breaking the... Emily, it's all up to you now. To, okay. To create the next uh, marathon record holder. I think that's fascinating. It's so fascinating to see the wheelchair people that is so amazing for them to go on. So it's one hour and 30 minutes. Uh, one by 21-year-old Daniel Romanchuk from Maryland. Um, it's fascinating, isn't it? To, to think about how people do all this, to run those marathons. And it's, it's, uh, it, that's what life is all about, and that's why we are going through this series um, called running, running with Abraham, running with the great heroes of our faith, looking at Jesus, who is the great starter and finisher of this marathon race. And, uh, of course, the Bible has so many, so many um, instances of running, which is also found today because we find a runner that comes to Abraham today. So would you arise with me and let's read our text for today, which is uh, 
from Genesis chapter 14. We've gone through Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham faces the crises of identity, running in the midst of crises of identity, running in the midst of famine. We did that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 and onwards. Genesis chapter 13 was running in the midst of family crises because running is a long thing. Today we are going to talk about running in the midst of world affairs and wars and because life has got all this um, uh, together uh, we, we need to keep in touch with the reality of what is going on and that's what we'll be facing running in the midst of world crises so may we begin we've got the first two verses and then we'll take a jump because there's a there's a lot of names there and those can be tongue twisters you know some of these older names are a lot different than my name. Rajkumar, Nanjundaya, Bujabajaya, uh, Boaz, Johnson. And so, you know, some of these names are tongue twisters. So are these names. Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Together, at the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ario, king of Elasar, Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim. These kings went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. We're not going further. We are. And you're saying, thank goodness, those names are over. <laughs> After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten, and the share that belonged to the men who went with me to Anur, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them have their share. So, Lord, as we run with Abram, we pray that you would, you would speak to us, that we may know how to run the race that is set before us. Looking to you, O oh Jesus, the starter, the pioneer, and the finisher of this great, great relay. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do be seated. 
do be seated. So let, 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 let's try to, you know, um, engage with this text together, and, and, and Angela will probably put those up on the screen again as you think about um, what are some of the things that, that you learned from this text? What are some of the first things that come to your mind? Um, a word, or two words, or a phrase, or something like that. So maybe start with our young people. Yes. Young people. Everyone's young. <laughs> Sorry? The feeding. The feeding is important. Feeding. Feeding is very important. Feeding is so... Sorry? Say that again. Oh, defeating. Feeding and defeating, they kind of go together, right? If you're not fed, then you cannot defeat people. Okay, defeating and defeating. And defeating. How about that? No, no, no. Feeding and defeating? No. Don't they go together, defeating and defeating? No? What do you think? If you defeat people, then they get def defeated <laughs> because they don't have any energy. Just like running, you know, you need to be fed to, uh, to, to run. And that's why Becky offered us food because we won't be able to run if, if we don't eat. That's what marathoners do. do. On, on Saturday, they, they do something called carb loading. Carb loading. And, and, and of course... You shouldn't carb load if you're not used to carb loading. You know, you've got to do that on a regular basis. If you extraordinarily carb load on Saturday, believe me, that Sunday run will be horrible because your, your body has got to get used to carb loading. Otherwise, you'll be defeated. So, anyone else? Blessing. Blessing. That's very important. Blessing. Do you know that the word bless um, essentially means to be lifted up? When you bless a person, then you lift up the person into God's presence, and that person feels light and is able to run the whole marathon. The, the opposite of that, the opposite of bless is cursing, right? That's not a good translation because English is a horrible language. It's the word to, to, uh, it's the word actually in Hebrew means to bring down a person. You load the person so that the person has got so much on their shoulder that they are down and they're not able to run. And when you bring down a person, you're only bringing down yourself. When you lift up a person, barach, then you're lifting yourself up also into the presence of God. So, blessing and... Um, who blesses whom? Who blesses whom? In this text. I was told in seminary not never to ask questions which are not open-ended questions, but sometimes it's questions that are more pertinent to the text itself. So what do you think? It's that name that's a long name, right? It's hard to pronounce. Uh, 
It's Melchizedek, who's a, who's a person that just arrives out of nowhere, you know. And he, he is a pagan king who comes and blesses Abraham. And that is so very pertinent because many times it is those people that we don't know that just come out of nowhere who bring the blessing of God so that we are able to run this race. And Melchizedek is, is mentioned often in the text of the Bible. In Psalm 110, is mentioned in Hebrews as being this person who is who becomes a paradigm for the person that would come after him, and that is Jesus Christ himself. I've often thought about that. Don't you think so? Can we learn from people who don't even know the Bible? Can we get blessings from them? And the biblical answer is look out for them because often God has placed those kinds of people in different parts of the world. And that's the whole thing about missions. The whole idea of missions is that God is at work. God doesn't depend on us. God is at work. He's been at work all over the world. And he has placed his witness in different parts of the world. We have to go and see what is God doing there. And get in line with God. So that's so powerful that Melchizedek comes and blesses Abram. So powerful, isn't it? Something else that comes to your mind? Deliver, deliverance, deliverance. Of course, what does deliverance mean is a deliverance. What does deliverance mean? That's another powerful thing. Is deliverance uh, uh, just a militaristic thing? Is deliverance a spiritual thing? Is deliverance a physical thing? Is deliverance a psychological thing? Or is it all of those all together? Maybe it is. Deliverance is not just a physical thing it is all of those. And that's what I like about running marathons. Running a marathon is not just a physical thing. When you reach mile 21, believe me, it's all a mental thing. It's not. Your body is gone. Your body is just given up. It's totally a mental thing. And if you watch... Good athletes, you'll get to realize that it's all a mental thing. You know, I used to watch Michael Jordan when he was sitting on the bench. He wasn't just sitting there and, oh, he was looking at every single move that people were making and studying because it's all a mental thing. It's not. Physical is just 10%. The athlete who do, does well is a person that knows how to do the mental thing. And so deliverance, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of those going together. Um, let's start at the beginning here. It's, it's very fascinating that, um, that this is going on as we look at 
the, the record of history. Uh, this is about um, between 2000 BC and 1700 BC, thereabouts the time of Abraham was a period of great turmoil in the whole world. Global turmoil. Uh, there was, um, this is the beginnings of um, the, the great dynasties in China. For example, the, the Shang dynasty came into being, in, in which you have this, uh, they, they go and obliterate and, and destroy this very peaceful group of people called the Shah people. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's X-I-A. Uh, they, they go and destroy that group of people. And there's the stories, of bizarre stories of, of Queen Zyandi, who, who, who is uh, the head of the Shah dynasty. And she swallows this divine egg and produces the first king of the Shang dynasty so that he would go and destroy the people that are there. And then they are worshipped. So that's going on in China. In, in India, there was a dynasty called the Indus Valley Civilization, just about the time of Abraham. I want you to see the connection there. That there was a very, very peaceful civilization. People were good to each other. The road system was great. There was equality, racial equality. And at all levels, people were nice to each other. They worshipped this God, who is the God of heaven. But then came the Aryans around 1700 and just destroyed that whole, whole civilization and brought in Hinduism into India. What was Hinduism? It's a political and sociological ploy to do harm to the people that they defeated. Indus Valley Civilization. You study civilizations, you say, my goodness, the times of Abraham were times of great turmoil. It was global turmoil. And that's what Genesis 14 is engaging with. People who considered themselves to be gods, divine kings, were shattering all the civilizations that existed before that. And that was happening in China, it was happening in the Middle East, it was happening in, in Syria. It, no different from what's going on today, right? We hear about wars going all over. And then why is it that Turkey is doing this, and, and Saudi Arabia is doing this, and Egypt is doing this, and China is doing this? I mean, we hear about wars all over, but that was what was going on during the time of Abraham and that is the context of running. How do you become a good Christian runner in the midst of global turmoil? Now, one of the ways of dealing with that is saying, well, I don't care about this. You know, I am living my good life here. I've got my job. I've got my studies to do, and I don't care about what's going on in Syria. I don't care about what is going on in, in, in Zimbabwe or in South America, because that's not my concern. I'm living my good life. But that's not what Abram does. Yes, he does go in, in chapter 13 and verse 14, uh, uh, I beg your pardon, verse 18, which is the very last verse before Genesis chapter 14. It says, 
Abram, he moved and he dwelled by the oaks of Mamre. He spent some time there, and that is very crucial. Okay? He moved his tents and, and, and lived by the oaks of, oaks of Mamre. And that is an important thing to keep in mind, that when we want to engage with things that are happening in the world, we should not get enmeshed in the affairs of global society around us. We have to separate ourselves so that we pray and think about how we can encounter the world. That's how the universities came into being. Did you know that? There were people in ancient church who would separate themselves from the din of all that was going on there, go into the desert and spend time in prayer and in thinking so that they'll hear God's voice and do something about it. That is the origins of the university. That's the origins of the great awakenings here in, 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 in the United States. There were people like Jonathan Edwards who would go and spend time in prayer, remove themselves from the awful things that were happening so they'd spend time in prayer and in thought. And then they would come back into the world with the ideas that God has given them. And that is very crucial to remove yourself because whenever the church has become a part of the political systems of the world, it's always been bad for the church. It's always been bad for Christianity. Think about this emperor called Constantine who became this great emperor, but it was so awful for the church because he started ruling the church. And his policies became the policies of the church. And that has never been good for Christianity. And it's important for us to learn these lessons because I think in modern day, when we marry church to politics, it's not a good thing. You go in one direction, whether you're Republicans, you're Democrats, whatever you are. No, the church is church. The gospel is the gospel. Jesus' word is Christ's word. And it should not be married with the present day politics of whatever it is. Jonathan Edwards. The second great revolution awakening that happened started with Christians again. The pietists who then changed the world to fight against uh, the slave system and all that. The third great awakening, it all started with people who separated themselves. Now, separating yourself doesn't mean that, that you and I just become completely separated from the world, because that's not what Jesus does. Jesus did get involved with the, with the world. He brought the gospel to change the systems of society. So that's what Abraham does. So one is separating yourselves, setting yourselves apart, not getting entangled in the agenda of the world, not letting the agenda of the world becoming your agenda. The second great thing that happens in Abraham's time is that he kept abreast with the world news. And that's important. It's our job to know what's going on so that we can do something uh, with, with the society. That's what happened in the great 
awakenings, not only here in the United States, but, you know, I've been doing quite a bit of reading about how God broke through in Korea and China. So let me read a little bit about uh, what happened in the Manchurian revival in 1908. Fascinating times. Or in Korea. So this is a report from Jinzu uh, around 1908. Uh, which says it was at Jinzu that I first came into contact with this amazing revolution in society. Meetings were going on there week after week. And so I was ushered into the heart of these things, unprepared and candor, I must add, with a strong temperamental prejudice against revival hysteria. Obviously, this is an American reporting, you know, who's saying, ah, I don't know what's going on there. These Chinese people, strange things they are doing. And so he goes on to say, at once on entering this great congregation of people, one was conscious of something unusual, because these people were, were praying about China, spending time in prayer, setting themselves apart from what is going on there, not getting entangled. And as this report goes on and on, it talks about how a great revival broke out in Manchuria. Because people separated themselves, prayed, thought about it, and then came back into society and engaged with society. You see this happening all across. We can talk about things happening in Chile, in India. It is fascinating to see what happens here. Um, but as it goes on, then you find that there is people like Abraham who engage with the world. So chapter 14 and all the way to, uh, from verse 1 to verse 13 talks about this engagement where there are people who are making war with each other. Now I want to say a little bit about that, okay? In Hebrew, because the Bible was given to God's people in this language called Hebrew, um, the word for war is milchama, laham, laham. Can you say that? It's a throat-clearing guttural. Laham. Come on, young people. You've got to say that. Laham. Do you know what's the word for bread? It's laham, laham. Either you give people the bread of life, lechem, from which we get the word Bethlehem, Bethlehem, or if you don't give people the bread from heaven, then you give the opposite of that. And that is wars. Do you see how the Bible gives you both of those? There is wars. But right in the midst of this, there is Abraham, this great runner, who seeks to give the lechem, the word of God. He sees a lot of people doing awful stuff here. And then, of course, there are these people who are taking plunders and doing awful things to women and to, to boys and girls. And, and they, take, they take his own nephew, whose name is Lot, and that you find in verse 12. They take Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions, and the departed, for he was living in Sodom. Do you remember Lot making that decision last time. So he goes to Sodom and he's taken as um, he, he's taken as a slave. That's the word that's used here. He's taken as a slave. 
Now, very interestingly, you come to verse 13, and it says, there's a refugee who comes running to Abram. It's fascinating. Hebrew says someone who escaped. I mean, the New International Version says someone who escaped or something like that. But the, he the Hebrew word there refers to someone who's a refugee. And Abram listens to the voice of this refugee. That is so crucial. If we want to engage with the issues of the world, let's follow Gina and listen to refugees because they know what is going on. And we can pray along with them to bring about changes in world society. Refugees from Sudan, refugees from Congo, refugees from Myanmar, refugees from Afghanistan. And believe me, these are people who are searching for the Lord. If you and I reach out to them, they are ready to accept the gospel. Because they've seen the awful things that have happened in Afghanistan and Sudan and in Congo and all of these places. And they're just ready to hear the gospel. And we can do that in our vocational situations, whatever it is. Whether you're teaching ESL in, in, in the College of Lake County or you have a, a medical practice or a dental practice, whatever it is. Here are people who are willing to listen to the gospel. And we need to reach out to them just like Abraham listened to this Yephalite. Yephalite in Hebrew the word is. And so he listens to this person. And then you would think he would say, Ah, oh, serves this guy right. Lot, his brother, right? He took all my property and ran away with it, left me with nothing. I don't care about him. That would be one response, isn't it? Probably if it was you and I, we would say that. You know, I don't care. Lot's dying. His wife is being, awful things are happening to her. His daughters, awful things are happening to them. I don't care. But that's not what Abram does. It is so fascinating. Good runners care for their opponents. Just like Jesus did, isn't it? Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor. I tell you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love them to the ultimate extent. You should be different than the rest of society. And that's what Abraham does. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Matthew chapter 22. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? My neighbor is my enemy. That's what the good Samaritan does. He could well have left that high-class Sadducee there, lying there to die, but he did not. And Jesus says that is how we should love. And that's what Abraham does. And that's the beauty of running, right? I've seen so many marathons where marathon runners will stop and help this person that has fallen down. You don't care about your time. I mean, of course, the marathon is run already. It's won already, right? 
some Kenyan has won the marathon. It's not going to make a difference to my time if I lose 10 minutes to help this person that has fallen down. And maybe call uh, 911, call, call the ambulance to come and pick up this person. That's what marathon runners do. Because you're a community of runners. And so he goes to help his brother and he rescues him. He delivers him. Don't you think that's more than just physical deliverance? It's so powerful, isn't it? And then he encounters this person by the name of Melchizedek, who comes to him. And I think if it was you and I, we would say, oh, you're a pagan. What do you know about God? I know about God. Don't tell me about God. You think you know about Jesus? You don't know anything about Jesus. I read the Bible from the time I was a little kid. You want to tell me about God? Don't you dare say anything about God because I know about God. But Abraham doesn't. He listens to this person called Melchizedek. That's so powerful, isn't it? And I've seen this happen over and over again. When I go to different parts of the world, there are people not people in the church, but someone else who'll tell me about Jesus. And it's so powerful. And you think I would say, oh, I've learned this. I went to Trinity. I did my PhD there. I've learned all this. Who are you to tell me? But you know, there's something about what the Spirit of God is doing in different parts of the world. We need to listen to that. That God is at work, so he comes and he says to Abraham, Blessed be Abram, by God most high. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies. And that's a powerful word there, into your hands. Because God is in control. Abram I'm here to worship your God, says Melchizedek. And Abram accepts his blessing. And he also accepts his communion because he brings to him bread and wine. And this is not just food. Melchizedek is recognizing the Messiah of the Bible. That's so powerful, isn't it? And he says, blessed be him. And the very last thing I want to bring before you is whose blessing should we accept and whose not? Notice, Abraham does not accept the blessing of Sodom, the king of Sodom. And he says, no, I don't want anything that's yours. I've sworn to the Lord God most high. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And I will not take anything that's yours. Because he discerns that there's something special about Melchizedek. And there's something that's entirely the opposite in this person who is the king of Sodom. And that can only happen when you and I walk with God. 
to discern between who is of God and who is from the devil. When we walk with God, we just know that. We just know that. May God give you and I discernment to be runners and to meet Melchizedek's all over and to meet refugees all over from whom we can learn and to be bothered by what's going on in the world so that we can prayerfully discern and make a difference where we are.